The rest of us are going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to finish the chapter. We're in the Gospel of John going through a series from uh, the book of John. It's one of my favorite ways to teach is uh, through a book. So uh, keep the ideas uh, developing as the writer seeks to develop them and uh, to the Gospel of John is a fantastic uh, eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Today we're going to talk about believing without seeing. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Some of you know the name Hudson Taylor. He was one of the most influential missionaries in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. He is best known for his missionary work in China in the latter half of the 19th century. Uh, he founded what was known as the China Inland Mission. When he died in 1905, there were nearly 300 mission stations in China scattered throughout the country. There were 849 missionaries with thousands of uh, Chinese Christians involved in supporting this work. And through this ministry in his lifetime, 18,000 Chinese placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, China was not an open country to the gospel. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing work of God uh, through uh, this leadership Hudson Taylor was a man of faith. It's great to read a biography about his life. He took God at his word. Going into all the world to make disciples for Taylor meant leaving the comfort of England and going to China for 51 years of his life where the gospel was viewed as strange and mysterious. Um, on Taylor's very first voyage to China from England on a large sailing vessel, uh, as the ship went through a series of islands, uh, the wind became very calm, and it lasted a long period. But the ship began floating toward one of those islands in particular, and as the ship got closer to land, the crew um, began to notice the natives waiting on the shoreline. And as they got closer and they were aware of some of the history of this region, they became aware that these natives were cannibals and the ship was drifting and there was no wind and so um, the ship's captain knew that Mr. Taylor was a man of God. So he asked uh, Hudson Taylor to pray for God's help in the midst of this impending crisis. Taylor replied, that, I will pray, Captain, but I want you to prepare the sails for the wind. And that was a little bit embarrassing for uh, the captain. He said, I will not make myself a laughing stock by unfurling the sails in the midst of a calm. 
Taylor said, then I will not pray if you do not prepare the ship. Finally, the captain was desperate enough to agree, so Taylor prayed in his quarters that God would move the wind so that the ship could be on its ways. And um, after a time, there was a knock on the door, and the captain came back, and he said, Mr. Taylor, are you still praying for the wind? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, please stop. We've got more wind than uh, we can handle right now. This is how Hudson Taylor lived. It is well worth reading his life story. He believed the promises of God. He believed that God answers prayer. He took God literally at his word. He trusted God for the big things, and he trusted God for the little things. And you know what? He never saw God once face to face. He never met Jesus in person, face to face. What about you? Can you take God at his word? Can you trust him with the big things and with the little things? Uh, when you take God at his word each day, it's called living by faith. Really an important concept in the New Testament. Living by faith. Our story today is about faith. And that's what we find in uh, John chapter 4. And uh, I'll just begin reading uh, the first part of this section. John chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse uh, 43. Now, after two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met, with, met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one, after, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So the context verse, uh, we see in verses uh, 43 through 45, and we'll, we'll start back in the beginning. After two days, he left for Galilee. So where had he been? Remember, he had been in Jerusalem. He had been there for the Passover festival, and um, he had uh, healed many people and performed miracles while he was there. And then he started to create uh, attention. 
uh, uh, with other religious leaders. And so he decided to move north. And he, he ended up where? Sychar, where Jacob's well was located. It was actually a well that Jacob had dug 1,800 years before Christ. And it was still in use, a spring-fed well. And there Jesus met a woman. And introduced himself to her as the true Messiah. And she was so excited. She, she put her faith in him and she, she ran back to town and began to tell others. And then the, some of the town's leading people came out to meet Jesus. And um, they invited him to come back to their town for a couple of days. And many people believed in Jesus. After two days, he left for Galilee. Remember, um, there's Jerusalem in the south. Samaria is that middle ground where the Jewish religious people did not want to travel because of their hate for this group of people. And so he's heading north uh, to Galilee. And then we have this side comment that seems a little bit puzzling in verse 44. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, that was a saying that of, in the Old Testament as well. Old Testament prophets in their own hometown were not recognized because, you know, that's just Elijah. He grew up over here. That, you know, that's how the, they viewed Jesus um, back in his hometown in Nazareth. It's just Joseph and Mary's boy. You know, he's just a carpenter. There's nothing flashy about his life. And now they say he's doing miracles. He's just, he's just a regular guy. And uh, when, he, when he went to Nazareth and read the scripture, uh, not to, yeah, to Nazareth, and, and when he read the scripture, um, they, they tried to kill him. Because he claimed to be Messiah when he read the passage that it was fulfilled in their sight. And if you remember in John chapter 1, it was in verse 12 that uh, uh, John writes that he came to his own and his own received him not. He, he came to his own country, his own nation. And um, yeah, there were a lot of people who, who believed. But as a whole, as a large group, they did not receive him well. And, and we'll see uh, part of the problem in just a minute. Verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. So Jerusalem is, you know, where the temple is, and that's where the main religious uh, festivals are held. And uh, people from all over the known world in the first century came back to Jerusalem. Jewish people came back to Jerusalem to celebrate. And it was just normal for people in Israel to travel back as pilgrims back to Jerusalem to be, to be personally involved in, in, the, in the festival and at the worship and to go to the temple uh, when they had the chance. Um, so, I think we should visualize this on a map. <laughs> so, here we have um, the map of Israel. 
And you see down at the bottom, Bethlehem. I just want you to know how close it is to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was born. And Jerusalem is where the temple is. And uh, Judea is that province. You know, it's like a county. It's a larger area. There are more than three, but these are the three that are in our passage. Samaria is a province. And Sychar uh, near Jacob's well is where Jesus met the woman at the well. And then Galilee is that province north. And um, so he's, he's going to be headed to Cana of Galilee. Let's, well, let's see that in verses uh, 46 through 49. Now we meet a royal official, and he makes a request of Jesus, and that request is in verse 46 through 49. The location... Verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he turned the water into the wine. That was John chapter 2. Remember that story? Jesus went to a wedding and they ran out of wine. It was a, a kind of a social um, occasion that uh, was failing badly. And uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, came and asked for his help. And um, he responded by doing a miracle. He turned about 180 gallons of water into very fine wine. And it was meant as a sign. Remember, signs point to things, right? A sign was a miracle that, that pointed to something bigger. It authenticated the message and the messenger. It was to cause people's to get their attention, to listen. It's a God thing that's happening. Pay attention. Um, so verse, uh, we see the, the oh, that we got to have, yeah, let's just do one more map. It's the same map, but we're going to Capernaum, from Cana to Capernaum, but uh, it's, it's mentioned in the, in the story next. And there was, um, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at, at Capernaum. So Jesus is in Cana, and there's a royal official from Capernaum. And um, we see the need in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went, to, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So here's the need. I wonder how many of you parents have been desperate because of your child's health. Some of you had had, have had children close to death. We had a 10-day-old baby that was close to death, our son. Uh, some of you have experienced uh, serious health issues. Um, and this man is desperate. He's got to do whatever it takes for his son. And he was close to death. Uh, we, we know already that he, he has a fever and he is dangerously close to death. And the father begs Jesus, Jesus, please come. Please come to our home. Please come to our city and heal uh, my son. 
And then Jesus replies, doesn't seem very compassionate. Verse 48, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, Jesus is a little frustrated with people at times, and he's frustrated here. And he's not talking to the man who just asked for help. He's talking to that crowd that have received him in Galilee, that welcomed him. And they had seen the miracles he had done. And that's what got their attention. They weren't looking to know Jesus in a more intimate way. They were interested in being entertained. They were interested in Jesus wowing them. They wanted Jesus to perform for them. And uh, Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you got to have miracles to believe. And that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for something beyond that. We have people today who are just, uh, that's all they want is focus on the miraculous. God can do miracles whenever he wants. But he's looking for faith that trusts him. Faith that takes him at his word. <clears throat> and then verse uh, 49, after this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The man is persistent. Verse 49, uh, he's not dissuaded. The, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. He's a desperate man. His child's life is at stake. It's a matter of life and death. He pleads with Jesus, come to Capernaum. We need you. Help us. Now, the royal official understands that Jesus has power and authority to do miracles. He assumes that Jesus must walk to Capernaum, 18 to 20 miles away, to heal his son. He assumes that Jesus' power only extends a few inches or a, possibly a few feet. But watch what happens in verse 50, the response from Jesus. And the reply, verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. So Jesus was asked, come to our house, come to Capernaum. And Jesus refuses. He tells him, you go to your house. Your son will live. The man didn't, the man took, uh, what we see is the reaction in verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. It's so simple. It is super profound. If you get anything out of anything I've said today, this is it. This is what is going to please Jesus. The man took Jesus as at his word. He didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't say, Jesus, you have to come to my house. You don't understand. 
He didn't say, Jesus, you don't care about my son. He didn't say, what's the matter, Jesus? You don't think I'm important? He didn't grumble. He didn't complain. Jesus said, go to your house. And he departs. It's that simple. He took Jesus at his word. He, he followed Jesus' instructions by faith. That is obedience. It's when God speaks and we follow. That's why we have the Bible, because God has spoken and he has given us instructions. And he does want us to follow. And he does want us to live by faith. And it requires that we trust him. Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, is uh, sometimes viewed as a definition or a description of faith. And uh, the writer says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The man didn't see his son back in Capernaum. He didn't have a smartphone to call his wife. He had to take God at his word. He had to take Jesus at his word. And he believed that Jesus could be trusted. And that's a great lesson for us. I remember, um, when I, I've shared this before, but uh, I remember as a brand new Christian, I'd probably been a Christian maybe in my second week, and um, I came to faith when I was 25, and we were living in Des Moines, and I, I shared before the first time, uh, this was probably like either this, maybe the second day after I came to faith in Christ, I realized at, at the dinner table, it was usually my daughter or my wife would pray, and they wanted to pray out loud, and that, that used to make me uncomfortable. But I realized that now I'm a follower of Christ. I need to pray. That was, that was really, really difficult. But about a week later, we went to uh, McDonald's near Drake University, um, and this was our first, my first meal out in public with my family. And we were praying at home, and uh, because we valued prayer, and now we are sitting at McDonald's, and I have to decide, what am I going to do? You know, there's all these college students around, and, you know, what will people think? Will they, will we, will they think that I'm weird? And I decided I needed to pray um, out loud, with my family, it wasn't like trying to make a scene so everybody could hear us, but that we would pause and acknowledge the presence of God because that was our lifestyle. And it required, and this is what just like was so clear at the time, I couldn't see God, but I know he's in charge, and I know he's the one who provides for me. And I trust him. Why wouldn't I want to thank him in public? 
And that was the first step. I'm glad we did it early because the longer I put it off, the harder it would have gotten. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, For we live by faith, not by sight. And this is how Hudson Taylor lived. He trusted the true and living God, even though he couldn't see him. He didn't need to feel the wind on his face before he believed God was going to answer, before God would take care of them. You can't see God. Sometimes you see the effects of God's presence. Sometimes we see answered prayer. But do you trust God? Do you trust God with the little things? And do you trust God with the big things? The writer of Hebrews tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. We see the results in verses 51 through 54. It was a result of the royal official's faith. It was a result of what Jesus did. And his son is healed. And the healing is in verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. So the, the royal official heads out toward home. He's, he leaves Cana. He's on the road to uh, Capernaum. And, and he meets servants coming to him from his house. And, um, and they say, they have good news. His boy was living. Well, he was living before, right? No, he was dying. He's not dying right now. He is living. He is alive and he's going to live. That was good news. And we see the impact in verses 52 and 53. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. I don't know what translation you're using, but that would be the seventh hour. And some translations have the seventh hour. One of the questions that commentators have to deal with, is that Roman time or is it Jewish time? And it's not always easy to determine which time they're using because Rome ruled the world and this is in the land of Israel. And sometimes it appears that they use Jewish time, and sometimes it appears they use Roman time. So something like that is not a mistake in the New Testament. It would be the translators trying to determine. So if it were um, Roman time, it would be 7 p.m., the seventh hour. If it's Jewish time, the sixth hour would be noon. And so this would be 1 p.m., Jewish time. The good news is his son is not dying. Yes, when he inquired as to the time, it was yesterday at one in the afternoon. The fever left him. Verse 53, the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And now it's been confirmed. Jesus, the Lord of creation, the great physician, spoke the words and his son was healed. By the way, that's how Jesus did it in Genesis chapter 1. He just spoke the word and the universe was spoken into existence. 
day one, day two, day three. God said, let there be, and there was. And you'll be reminded that that's all Jesus has to do in Revelation 19 when he returns with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It is his words that will bring judgment, execute judgment on earth. The father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said, said to him, your son will live. So he, the royal official, and his whole household believed. This had a huge impact on his family. This royal official who, he's called royal because he's probably connected to uh, Herod Antipas' household. He's probably a servant and an official there. Um, his family didn't get to see Jesus. They didn't get to meet Jesus in person. Now, he got to talk with Jesus, but he responded to Jesus in faith. And when he knew his son was healed, he got life a new life. And he goes home now as an eyewitness and he tells his family and they are amazed. Maybe even his son who was healed because we don't know how old he was, but his family, his household, that would include some of the servants. Um, they believed what the royal official had told them And it changed this man's life. He had a huge impact on his family. By the way, parents, you can have a huge impact on your family just by the way you live. Are you the real deal? You know, do you trust God with provisions? Do you thank God for how he provides for you? Are you generous with your lifestyle? Your kids pick that up. Are you a person who reads their Bible? Your kids know. Are you a person that prays? Your kids know. And that's going to be their view of Christianity, whether they want to embrace it or not. It's going to be a whole lot. It's not going to be what you tell them. It's going to be how you live. Verse 54, we've... The sign, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Second sign. Remember the first one? It was in Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. And what was the sign? Sign authenticates the message and the messenger. It's, it's to point to something. And this sign was to point to who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed one. He's the promised one. And God's people, the Jewish people, the nation, were to pay attention and to listen and to respond in faith. In um, John chapter 20, verse 25, we see another example from the Gospel of John. And John chapter 20, verse 25, takes place after the resurrection of Christ, the disciples are gathered in the upper room, and they've already had an encounter with Jesus before. 
And they're excited because on this occasion, Thomas, one of the disciples, will join them, and he hasn't seen Christ before. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. They are excited to share this good news with Thomas. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and if I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's a Westerner. He's an empiricist. He's got to have the facts. He needs the data. He needs uh, information. And uh, he needs something that can be measured. He wants to touch. He wants to see Jesus. Did he really resurrect from the grave? And so Jesus enters the room. Kind of a surprise. Verse John, verse chapter 20, verse 27 and 28. So Jesus speaks, and then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then we get this amazing response from Thomas, and I've always been moved by this. My Lord and my God. Thomas gets it just instantly. He doesn't have to touch anybody. He sees Jesus, and he gets it, and he believes. And he's not just the teacher. Thomas sees him now as his Lord and his God very clearly. How about you? Is Jesus your Savior? I hope so. Is Jesus your Lord? In other words, he's my leader for life. And my role is to follow. My role is to submit to him. Um, I want him to have lordship in my life. I want him to have rule in my life. And I will follow. I will live by faith. I will trust him. I will yield to his leadership. We come to John chapter 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, Thomas, you've believed. And then he gives this kind of a promise. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Because that requires a deeper faith. And that's where we are. Because we don't get to see Jesus firsthand. We don't get to see his nail print. We will. We will see the resurrected Jesus. If we could be at the right hand of God this very minute, we would see the resurrected Jesus sitting at the right hand of God in his glorified body. One day we will see Jesus face to face and we will see his resurrected body and we will see the nail prints and we will see the wound in his side. But right now, our faith is connected to a true and living God. We have a spiritual connection. But is God's word enough for you to take God at his word to trust him? In John chapter uh, 20, verses 30 and 31, John reveals his whole purpose for writing the book. 
when I ask people um, to read the Gospel of John. And if you're not reading the Bible right now, this is a great place to jump in. Read the Gospel of John. It's just the story of Jesus. And sometimes people say, well, I don't understand. There's just so much I don't understand. Sure, there, there'll be lots of things you don't understand. What do you understand? Read it and look for what you do understand, and you'll see pieces starting to come together. Try reading it a chapter at a time, or a couple of chapters if you can handle more than one chapter. Read the Gospel of John, and here's the purpose. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Jesus did a lot more stuff than this, John says. They're not recorded here. They're recorded. Some are recorded in Matthew, and some are recorded in Mark, and some are recorded in Luke. And yet not all of them got recorded in all of those books. But John has handpicked other uh, signs. He, he actually picked seven, if you follow them through the book. There are seven signs that are going to point to who Jesus is. Verse 31. But these, these seven, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by le- believing, you may have life in his name. His purpose was so that we might believe, so that people will, will have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um. Believing is how you start a relationship with Jesus. And it's also how you grow your relationship with Jesus. Um, Jesus came so that people might have life in him. And um, in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus called it the abundant life. He says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And it's not life after death, it's life now. Eternal life begins now. Spiritual life begins now when we place our faith in Christ. It's a new life with a spiritual dimension, a life that experiences the forgiveness of God and and experiences God's love. It brings hope for the future. And Jesus made it possible by dying on the cross. And that's what Lee said in his story. His only requirement is is that we trust him. That's how we start. Believe. And that's that's what the name of our series is in the Gospel of John is because the word believe is mentioned 96 times in the Gospel of John. I think there's a message there. When we place our faith in Christ, we start something new. We, We become followers of Jesus. We learn to follow his leadership and his instructions. It's a new life. It enables us to grow and to change. It, it enables us to love sacrificially. It enables us to forgive others because of that we've been forgiven as well. It enables us to experience joy, true joy, and uh, peace. That's what we're going to talk about on Christmas, Christmas Eve, the Prince of Peace. Um, to be more, uh, we, it enables us to be more patient. It enables us to be kinder. Um, can you trust God with the little things? And can you trust God with the big things? Can you trust him with your kids? Can you trust him with your marriage? 
Those are actually all big things. Can you trust him with your schoolwork? Can you trust him with your job? Can you trust him with your attitude day by day? Can you trust him with your thought life? Um, can you trust him with your relationships? Could you trust him to help you find a person that he would want you to marry? Or do you just want to do it yourself? Um, can, you, can you trust him with all of your future? Faith is about taking God at his word. That's what's going to please God. Let's stand and let's pray. Gracious God, I just thank you for um, the story of uh, the royal official who encounters Jesus with uh, a surprising faith. He didn't need to be impressed. He just sensed he should trust Jesus and take him at his word. Lord, help us to learn from that. Help us to live by faith. Help us to trust you one day at a time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.